Nuclear. Now is it Crick or Creek? Coyote or Coyote? Sometimes I say library. Welcome to You're Saying It Wrong. I'm Fletcher Powell, and each episode we turn to the people who literally wrote the book on this, sister and brother team Kathy and Ross Petrus, and we'll dive into what we get wrong and sometimes what we get right when we try to speak this weird English language. I just want to say before we go today, if you haven't listened to our last episode about contronyms, you should probably go back and listen to that because we're picking back up again with contronyms today. Those are single words that can mean completely opposite things. So I think one of my favorites that we talked about last time around was how you can trim the tree before you trim the tree. You can take things off the tree before you put things on the tree. But we're going to get a little bit more complicated than that today because I know, Kathy and Ross, you thought of some of these after we talked and maybe some that you just either didn't realize or uh, just hadn't come up as obvious contronyms to you. So right now, let's go. Fletcher, fine to the contronym. (laughs) (laughs) we, We have to be talking about go? Well done, Fletcher. It is yeah. go. <laughs> I mean, there's only, there's only a couple of words there, right? I, I was thinking, could it be let? Is there a way it could be <laughs> let? Um, but yeah, so go. Okay, tell me about this. Well, first of all, I'm going to do another sentence right here, and then Kathy's going to go on with go. <laughs> <laughs> this car could really go until it started to go. Oh, very good. Yeah, this was really, frankly, this is one we hadn't thought of at all when we talked about contronyms, and I don't remember what we had said or seen that made one, I think it was Ross who figured it out, actually. I've got to be honest here, but I don't remember. But yeah, so go can mean to go, the action of going, to proceed, but can also mean to, like, fail, to give out, to, like, you know, stop working. And I think this points up to an interesting interesting fact about English or any language how much we Kath and I talked about this at length how much of language is really contextual I mean you all all of us instantly probably understood that sentence and we had no difficulty in determining which go meant what because we know the context in which go has been used and I think that really relates to something very interesting it's also why it's difficult a lot of times to learn foreign languages because we don't know the context that reminds me of when i'm watching a foreign film and i have to rely of course on the subtitles but those subtitles can only go so far with putting things into context for me the the person who's writing the subtitles can't just necessarily do a word-for-word translation. They have to understand also the context with each of the words and somehow relate that to me, and it may not necessarily be a word-for-word translation. No question about it. It's a real problem, actually. I mean, translation is always really very difficult to to get the entire idea behind it, and people miss things, too. I recall reading just recently, I was, I mean, this is really off the topic, but I was reading a um, French translation of Agatha Christie, and at the very end, um, a couple is kissing in front of the very staid... Uh, oh, I remember this one you talked about. Yeah, go on. I'm sorry. He's <laughs> taking the church ladies through the church, and his son is making out with the, a duchess or a countess or whatever. And the father goes, uh, oh, excuse... He opens the door and sees the two making out, and he goes, excuse me, uh, they're uh, engaged. And the lady behind goes, I should hope so. And the idea is that they're, it's a double, it's a play on the words. They're engaged in terms of being busy, 
and they're engaged <laughs> in terms of being married, even though they're not in this mm-hmm. case. And that joke or that sort of play on words completely missed the um, translator in the French one. It really sort of hit me. And then I got really sort of curious and I started looking at Tintins or Tatas in French and in English. And again, there are these there are a number of jokes that either way don't go. They don't they don't they don't go. They don't fit. And it's very interesting to me. That, well, that's the whole thing. I always have problems with because I'm a punner. I'm an inveterate, and I, I that's something that I can't. I can't. It's bothering me. I don't know how to pun in Spanish. I, I don't <laughs> know. It, I, can't, I can't. It's driving me crazy. It's like no one's going to understand that I'm making no pun. Like I refer to my husband as the hubcap. So in Spanish, I keep calling him Tapa Cubos. But no, anybody there will go. Why the hell are you calling? Me? Why? You know, this makes no sense. It's a, it's a, that's a tangent. I'm sorry, but I couldn't help it. That does <laughs> sound like a little. Bit of a badass nickname, though. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> I'll tell him that. <laughs> but seriously, now back to back to contronyms. That's where we started. But yeah, that's the whole. Pro- I mean, that's the thing that got us though with the go when we started realizing the words, the easy words that are common, but they actually were contronyms, and we weren't aware of it when we talked about them last time. And the interesting thing though with contronyms too is a lot of times if you look back at the etym- etymologies of it. It kind of makes sense. Like Kathy and I were talking about go, and go obviously means to to you know to go to advance to walk, but then it can also mean in a way to go away. And then when you get go away, it can mean like the the force went away, so it doesn't work. So it does sort of make sense. Well, what I found the, the other thing that when I when I was reading about go, and that never occur, occurred to me. Well, in the past tense, particularly, the go has meant since like the 1300s to die. Like you, you're because you're going, which you don't think of either. Which isn't. I mean, it's well. That's sort of not a contronym, but it's sort of. It doesn't sound like I'm going somewhere. I don't know. It also could mean Went. actually. Interestingly enough, since the Anglo-Saxon times, it can mean something. Uh, a term that we both understand. I've got to go, meaning going to the restroom. The OED has it meaning uh, urinate or defecate from 1926, but they have Old English uh, G-O-N-G gong, which means a privy which means a going, literally. Uh-huh. So we have that early attestation of uh, to go, meaning something we all very well know. But again, yeah. though, back to the, the, the uh, context, I've really got to go. I mean, not to get defecatory here, but I've really got to go. <laughs> you know, depending on the context, could mean I've got to leave or I've got to go to the bathroom. We have... Well, I guess if you're jumping around, you can sort of figure it out. Though, you know? <laughs> I think like visual cues might tip you off. <laughs> well, just just to take this even further into the toilet, uh, th- th- it may have been George Carlin, as it often is, as as we mentioned, we've mentioned him before. But talking about, um, let, let me see how I can say this without using the word, uh, take a defecation. I need yes. to uh-huh. take a defecation, right? Instead of I need to leave one or give one wow <laughs> i mean you know what word i'm yeah no we do. Yeah, we do yeah we do gee no <laughs> <laughs> it's just you know that 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 you're obviously not taking it no yeah <laughs> that's actually that's a very good contronym and right there a contronymic use <laughs> yeah there's no yeah, question actually about you're it. right wow <laughs> who knew there was so much to do with go to have with go to take with go whatever well let's leave off from the, that doesn't really work. Let's leave off from this con- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Shut that off. Yeah. No, that doesn't work either. Yeah, well, actually, we could say another word, blank off, too, Ross, but we won't. <laughs> <laughs> 
we're devolving, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. We're salty today. Yeah, well, it's yes. summer. Okay, anyway, I'll start the word that we were talking. The relevant word here is off, which can mean, Catherine? Deactivate, I turned it off, or activated, the alarm went off. Ah, uh, right. Which we didn't, that was another one that was like kind of cool. Yeah, and we, we, we mentioned that very much in passing last time around, but uh, dig into that one a little bit more. Well, here we go with, the, here's a sentence again, another one of these sentences. The alarm went off, turn it off. And again, we know exactly what that means. Yeah, there's no question whatsoever. Even with just a few words around it. I mean, those aren't long, complicated sentences. No. No, that's what's so strange. The thing that gets me, though, with off is, is, it began as a form of old the old english of and it was an adverbial use of of meaning the off that's like farther like farther off in the distance didn't start until the 17th century and then not working like the turning it off comes from the 1800s which seems so recent that was really surprising to me i didn't realize how recent that was until very recently I mean, then there are other offs that, that I just got interested in off the cuff was um, which I, I think when I think of it, I used to see it in, like wasn't it in like Woodhouse sometimes yeah. writing on your shirt cuffs writing. T- yeah, because off the cu- I, I never understood why off the cuff. But that came from, you know, you would you would write notes on your shirt cuffs and read to them. Huh. And the off the wall, I, I figured wouldn't be um, would be a newer one that and that came from the 60s. Which led me to, interestingly enough, I always said out in left field for something. Oh, instead of off in left field? Off in left field as well. And do you know the spurious etymology behind that one, you guys? No, I have no idea. And actually, I'm kind of with you. I always would have said way out in left field. Yeah. Yeah, out in left field. I never said off in left field, ever. I was just, just a couple seconds ago, I was looking it up and... They were, they were talking about off in left field, which I thought was really odd. I would never have said off in left field. You two are baseball fans, though, and you agree or not? Uh, I've never said it off in left field. Yeah, neither have I. I, I've, I. As far as I know, I've always said out in left field. Yeah, here it, says out of, here it says out of left field as well. That one actually does make sense to me because I would say something like that. That really came out of left field. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't I can't imagine what would what would come out of left field that would make that phrase makes sense really well do you want to know or not yeah i'm curious well apparently years ago uh um what's his name william sapphire did a did an article on it or a column on it and asked all these people one of the the spurious one is that it came in chicago i think wrigley field chicago this i actually knew supposedly there was a, a mental asylum nearby and in left field you could hear people screaming and it came from that. Mm. Well, God, that's depressing. That's like, I thought it'd be something fun about the sport. Yeah, no, they're not really sure that it is that, though. But they are saying that it could be that, like Cook County Hospital, Chicago Cubs, uh, near the University of Illinois College of Medicine, people could hear yelling and screaming. That doesn't, to me, make sense. The other one is that Yankee Stadium had a long left field. So you're far out. It's therefore it's far out, etc. You're way out in left field, but no yeah, one really knows. Yeah, that was always harder to get a home run there. Yeah. Yeah, I like that one better. I think that makes more sense. Yeah. Because out in left field, you're not you're not part of the yeah. You're not really part of the game. In effect. You know, actually, kidding aside, maybe what we should do because there were a lot of them right here. 
on you know like uh we should do a, a etymology of baseball terms because a lot of them are really weird well i was just going to suggest that one of the other contronyms we found ross was strike there goes kathy let's <laughs> go uncanny how that dovetailed you we weren't even aware of it <laughs> go with it Kath. don't strike out on this one uh, we, we've got to work on those segues ross. <laughs> <laughs> i think on three strikes um okay strike strike is one is there's more fun about the strike out part but strike can mean to hit something a car strikes a pedestrian but striking as we just are talking about the baseball analogy is uh, not analogy the baseball usage is you miss you miss your attempt you strike you strike out or you you don't you know strike one which the thing that gets me with the hitting which of those two actually would you think came first the hitting or the the missing a ball oh i definitely would assume that hitting something came first so would i we would be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you knew that that was going to be the case. <laughs> of course. Strike originally meant to miss something. To miss something. To like pass anything. lightly over something. Okay. Yeah. Although in terms of uh, baseball and cricket, the thought is it didn't. That's where they think it was different. They think that with uh, baseball and or cricket, um, it's basically like hitting a foul ball. You're striking, you're striking it. And it, it began to like be connotated with like basically not striking the ball well. And then from there, they think it came Although to you can't be out with three foul balls. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Unless there's a bunt on the third strike. No, we know that. But we do know that. You can keep on striking forever. But in the sense, though, in terms of the, of the usage, it basically meant you're not striking it well. And then from there, it came to mean you're striking out, you're missing the ball. And they, they think it actually may go back to, um, should a cricket, should a striker stand at bat without striking at fair balls for the appearance of losing, uh, uh, delaying the game, etc. Then he gets strikes against him and they're called and then from there you get out and all of that. So I do think in that sense, it did mean to actually hit at something. And then from there it came to basically mean to hit, to swing, to go foul, to swing and not hit it at all. To, in effect to strike out god hmm. but but uh, leaving sports aside that that word strike did uh, first mean to pass over though at least according to yeah. what you said kathy yeah yes per the per the oed it's not me making it up yeah, sure <laughs> want to quickly say that to cover my butt yeah no it's it originally came from the old english um strikan strikan i can't imagine which meant to pass lightly over to stroke to smooth to rub but it also meant to move and proceed so i mean it was that was a weird dichotomy there and i th think it was related to streak and to strike to stroke excuse me but the dealing the blow concept the hitting didn't come about until the 14th century it was a little later and they started playing cricket and then from there the rest is history <laughs> you know and that word strike also means take down in uh, like live, yeah you live performance. you're right just you strike you strike the the set mm -hmm. on a, a stage or something yeah it's just i, I it would fascinate me with any word i mean i'm looking right now at just different meanings of it i mean the concept of uh striking gold is different too and that that obviously came about in the 1800s baseball also 1800s uh, striking as in like not working, like striking to get demand, 1700s. It's like, you don't, you don't think about where, like the various meanings of one simple word. Mm -hmm. We went from strike and then we had a phrase, uh, a ver uh, strike mm -hmm. out, which leads us very much to the next word. <laughs> and this one always, this one, I think this is what began us with common, common contronyms for better or for worse. 
uh, out can mean visible or invisible. For example, here's the word. I love this sentence too. It's a good thing the full moon was out when the lights went out. And here we go again. Out meaning visible. The moon is out and lights and lights out, not visible. Which I just really like. I love these little things. Well, you can also use out to mean inside or outside. Like, I never get out of the house because I work out of my home. So it's that's quasi-contronym, though, really. Because you're not getting out of the house. You're not leaving because you work out of the house. Well, actually, it no, is contronym, yeah, totally. Yeah, ab absolutely, yeah. This is one case, going back to the, uh, you mentioned the full moon is out. Uh, it's a good thing the lights are out. That's one case where, in particular circumstances, it it could actually be confusing rather than us knowing uh, because of the context. Say someone is coming home late at night and um, you want to let them know that you're at home. You could tell somebody to put the light out so they know we're home. And and you could be meaning, I you know, put put whatever the lantern out on the porch or turn off the lights. Now, like I said, that's it's pretty specific circumstance, and we don't really do that. But but that that is well, a, it sounds very farmish to yeah, me. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> The next one is um, hold. This is a phrase actually. It was hold up. Okay, what are the two meanings, Fletcher, of hold up in your head from your own little brain? <laughs> yeah, just right off the top of my own little brain um, to <laughs> to rob a bank or to um, stop doing something to stop short i guess to stop before doing something there are two and there's a third one too i think kathy was getting ready to say the third one which is to support or sustain to hold no, something yeah. up oh of course <laughs> but, and that's for, the oldest one too yeah, i know i think i watched too many heist movies that the first thing that went into my head was robbing a bank i know that's very interesting and that one is a is a recent one that one uh the robbing the bank one came from the 1800s late 1800s and it was the robbers saying to raise your hands hold up your oh, hands yeah sure okay this is a which is up. weird because yeah. I, I would yeah it's a holdup which didn't start yeah it started in the 1800s mm -hmm. but it's funny though with Fletcher said that holdup I think almost automatically and I, I don't watch that many crime films but I agree with Fletcher the first meaning in my head is this is a holdup isn't it to you too Kathy think about it well yeah if you just say yeah which was what we did hold up I didn't think of it and when he said the thing about the stopping of something like there's a hold up in these things that's the last one I would have thought of I don't really think of hold up much in terms of like there's been a hold up because when I say there's been a hold up I immediately think bank hold up I do really? I don't think of a hold up as a hindrance which is which is a definitely another you know I, I do word. I have to hold up my I have to hold up this somewhat or something like that I can see saying that. I, I think the most obvious one is holding something in the air, and that's the one I didn't think of. But I think of I, I'm doing something with someone else, and I want them to stop before they do this other thing. You know, I say, hold up. Don't do that just yet. I don't think I've ever said that. Really? Yeah, no. Huh. I'd say I'd say hold it. I would say hold it. Yeah, I would the, never say hold up. It's the same thing. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a uh, generational thing. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I think I would say hold up. Hold up, Kathy. Don't I say that? Or do I? I don't know. I've never heard it from you, but then I never do anything that makes you, you know, need to stop. <laughs> well, speaking of hold up, though, here's a, this is a sentence from 1837. And given our talks, this does not sound right to me. The wheels of the coach are shod with the preparation of iron slippers. 
which are essential to a holdup. Now, I hear that, and I think of crime, even though it's not in this case. Sure. Are they talking about breaking or something? Yeah. Yeah. They're saying how to stop, uh, you know, it's how to stop. Yeah. Yeah. W- that's definitely not a phrase that's used now. Uh, a a holdup meaning to break or to stop. No. I'm just surprised with the holdup that I don't use, The you know, like, you know, restrain yourself. The OED has an example from 1500s of that. And I would have thought that that would be more like, you know, 1800s or later. It sounds sort of slangy, you know, yeah. hold up. But no, it's old. Okay, so definitely not a generational thing. It's just, no, it's yeah. just you, Kathy. Unless you're very old. <laughs> <laughs> what haven't you been telling us, Fletcher? <laughs> Is there a portrait in your attic? <laughs> well, now we move on to another one. I can't think of a good sentence either, but this is sort of an interesting one. And the word is help, which we basically know what it means, which is to assist or to help someone do something. So what what is the contronym aspect? To prevent. You can't help doing something, which I thought was really interesting. Now, is that just a truncated form of you can't help yourself from doing something? Wow! I think Fletcher does have something up there, and he's been reading OED for the past (laughs) 200 years, or 150 years. (laughs) Exactly. That's the etymology there. And I can't help but be jealous of your knowledge of English. It's very good, Fletcher. Okay. We're ready for a couple of uh, side notes. Okay. This one I, we ran across, we just loved. It's, it's, it's not a linguistic term. It's just, it's like a word term that's sort of fun. An aptronym. This is another nym, like a contronym, but it's an aptronym. And that's a name that, that it's aptly suited to the owner of the name. Ah, it was, cool. They, it's really fun. We had so much fun trying to think of them. I mean, we looked up lines and stuff. But it's like it's like the local, like the weatherman is Mr. Freeze. Right. Or like, yeah, it's just so cool. We started going crazy with aptermans. You can think of a lot of them Yeah, you know that are, I, that are legit. Uh, when I was a kid, I played Little League uh, with another kid. And his father was a chiropractor. And their last name was Bonebreak. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my God. Oh, that That's actually, amazing. although actually... That's what we. That's the next term we were going to introduce, which is an inaptronym. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> with your names that don't quite fit or are a little <laughs> bit sort of macabre in that sense, too. Yeah, we had a few of those. Yeah. There was um, a baseball pitcher, Bob Walk. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and then another baseball pitcher, Grant Ball Four. <laughs> 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 and this one, it never occurred to me, Frank Beard, who was in ZZ Top, and he was the only guy that didn't have a beard. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Isn't that cool? <laughs> and the one that got me was Jaime Sin, who was a Catholic uh, cardinal. Because the name Sin really hit. Even a long time ago, I remember seeing that. That one really got me, too. <laughs> so did they call him Cardinal Sin? Cardinal Sin. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that would be really cool, like sort of superhero guy. Yeah. Evil man. We Cardinal also thought of a reverse aptonym, which is Thomas Crapper, a sanitary engineer. Now, his name became synonymous with what he was doing because he was doing it and then the name took on took on the meaning so we decided we call that a reverse aptonym or backwards aptonym yes a, a back aptonym yes <laughs> i was gonna make a bad pun there, <laughs> backside atronym no, no, we're going back Apt- to see we, we began with toilet humor we're going yes. back to toilet humor we can't help ourselves it's the summer okay <laughs>
This episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced by me, Fletcher Powell, help from Beth Golay and Luann Stevens in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. Kathy Petrus records from her home in Seattle, Washington. Ross Petrus from his home in Toronto, Ontario. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can tweet it at us. We're at YSIWpod. Email them at knrpetrus at gmail.com or email me at powell at kmuw.org. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or even a review at Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help us. They're how we get more people to find us. Kathy and Ross's book, You're Saying It Wrong, was published by 10 Speed Press. You can find that and much of their other work pretty much anywhere you get books. We recommend your local independent bookstore. And, of course, Kathy and Ross are always up to something. You can check out their other work through their website, knrpetras.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S dot com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks.